going to read Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 51. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. I'm just going to pray and then Rowan's going to come speak to us. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful gifts that you give us and particularly that you give us the ability to know you better. And please focus our minds now as we turn to your word together. Please teach us and change us through Rowan's teaching. Amen. We're thinking today about the persecution of those who claim to be followers of Jesus. This has been an issue in, Christ- in our church history and Christian history, the world history, for many, many centuries, but it's been brought to the fore uh, this year, really, through the actions of the ISIS or ISIL group when, uh, with a lot of YouTube ap- action, they executed quite a number of Christians either by beheading or shooting. It happened at least twice this year and um, because of the, their use of social media that has really come to front and centre in our media. And the first thing to say about persecution is no one should ever be persecuted for their faith. Don't you agree with that? No one should be ever persecuted for their faith. And the reality is, if we look carefully over world history, it's not just Christians who are persecuted for their faith. In fact, at times, I think tragically and wrongly, Christians have been the ones sometimes doing the persecuting. You don't have to delve right back in the past to find out, even this year. I don't know if this story came, you came across this story, uh, you read the heading, Boko Haram violence, and you might think, right, the Boko Haram, which is sort of an Islamic extremist group, they're, they're committing more violence. That's not what this article is about, as the subtitle makes clear. Christians take revenge against Muslims in Nigeria. This story was originally reported in the Times of London uh, and picked up by a couple of other news agencies as a result. And uh, one, of the li- one of the quotes that was there in the report was uh, from the particular guy who was representing the... Uh, Muslim, society, uh, Muslim sort of association there in Nigeria and his comment was that the Christians believe the Muslims invited Boko Haram to come and kill them. So now it's vengeance, he said. 
and every Muslim is now the target of these Christians seeking revenge. Now may I just say straight up down, no one bearing the name of Christian who really is a follower of Jesus will be into seeking revenge. And the reason is very clear because Jesus himself said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. There's no way you can claim to be a follower of Jesus, this Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament Scriptures, and decide to go and persecute someone else for their faith. It's just not, poss- it's just not on. You can't do that and be a follower of Jesus. But the reality is, around the world, there is much persecution of people of faith and there is much persecution of Christians for their faith. And that's the issue that we want to explore a bit today as we look at the book of Acts. But to bring you up to speed, just to give you a little bit of the sense of the scale of the problem of persecution of Christians, I'm going to show you a super short video. This comes from uh, an organisation, an Australian organisation called Open Doors. Uh, This is what they call their World Watch List, uh, which has just been released uh, for this year. And uh, let's just watch this just two-minute video to open your eyes. So the reality is persecution of Christians is happening today around the world and it's been happening to Christians for the last 2,000 years. It's quite a big deal. What we're going to explore today by looking at these opening chapters of the book of Acts is this whole uh, reality of the persecution of Christians and try to understand it a little bit better. Now, if you were here last week when I was talking a little bit about these opening chapters of the book of Acts, you might might remember that I said that in these opening chapters of the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 2 through to chapter 7, there's a bit of a cycle. Luke tells the story of the early Christian church um, through this cycle where The new believers in Christ, what do they do? They believe that Jesus is the Lord of all, the one uh, through whom you can only be saved. So they proclaim the message of Jesus. As a result of that proclamation, what happens? Well, some people don't like the message and so the Christians are persecuted. As a result of proclamation comes persecution. However, also because of proclamation, some people hear the message and actually accept it. They go, oh, well, right, okay, yes, I now believe that Jesus is the Lord of all, the Saviour of of all those who believe. So they put their faith in him and they join the new Christian community and so then Luke puts in a little description of their life together. So as you follow the narrative, you get this cycle. Preaching, persecution, a picture of their life together and one of the things they are doing in their life together is proclaiming Jesus and so the cycle goes. And uh, I showed you last week, that cycle happens I think four times in the opening chapters of the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 2 through to the beginning of chapter 8. And last week we looked at a little bit from the life together moments to try to get a bit of a picture of what is this life together of the new Christian community about. Today we want to look at the idea of persecution that happens to this Christian community in these opening chapters. Now what you see if you look in all of these particular places in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6 and 7 is that the persecution, as you go through the cycles in the narrative, the persecution is amping up. It's getting more severe as you go through these cycles. So you can see this if you look, say, at the very first cycle when the apostles are preaching at Pentecost 
and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus, there's actually no opposition to the message in the way Luke records that narrative. They preach, lots of people come to faith and they have a nice... Then Luke describes their life together, which we looked at last week. That's what happens. But the next time that Luke records them preaching, it's in chapter 3 and 4, Peter and John, you might remember the story, we looked at it earlier in the year, they're going to the temple and there's a guy there who's lame and they, in Jesus' name, they heal him and then they preach the message about Jesus as a result to the crowd and the authorities in chapter 4 get very upset. And so what they do is they grab hold of Peter and John, they throw them in jail overnight. The next morning they bring them out, they question them and Peter and John say, well, we're just going to keep preaching in Jesus' name because we've got to obey God rather than you. And the authorities don't like that, but they threaten them. Don't, don't do this again. Don't do it again. But then, as Luke records it, they, can't, they don't really know what else to do because, hey, this amazing miracle has just happened and everyone in Jerusalem knows about it, so they threaten them and then release them. Right? That's the beginning of the persecution of the Christians. When you get to the next cycle in chapters, uh, chapter 5, uh, this time uh, you can read the story. The, all the apostles are out there preaching and healing, uh, the, proclaiming the kingdom of God in Jesus. This time the authorities don't like it. They arrest all the apostles. They throw them in jail again. But this time in the middle of the night, God sends an angel, some sort of divine messenger, who lets them out. But they're not just let out, not just told, oh, off you go, go on, go home. They're actually given a message from God. Off you go, get out of here and go to the temple and proclaim in full this new life that's found in Christ. So don't go to the temple and just whisper it in secret. No, even though the persecution has happened, even though you've been arrested and thrown in jail, you go and proclaim it in full. So, being dutiful to the messenger from God, off they go. They go to the temple and that's what they're doing. And the next morning when the authorities are going, right, get those guys out of the jail, let's question them. They go, um, there's no one there. What do you mean there's no one there? They go, well, we, no, one knew, no one knows. The guards can't explain what's happened. They're just, and then someone says, oh, well, I found them. They're in the temple preaching again. What? So they send people off to, to get them and they get there and there's a big crowd. They go, well, we can't, don't want to cause problems by, you know, you arrest people in public when everyone's going, wow, this great message about Jesus. So they just quietly say, look, will you quietly come with us? The apostles go, yeah, sure, no worries. So the apostles come with them. They question them. And again, the apostles say the same thing. We're going to obey God. Not, like we have to obey God, not human beings. He told us to proclaim this new message of life in Christ. So we're, go- we're going for it. We're going to keep doing it. The authorities are not happy. So they threaten them some more, but they decide again that they need to, they're convinced by a guy, Gamaliel, who's one of their number, uh, that actually probably the soundest course of action at this particular point because who knows, maybe they are from God and if they are from God, we're not going to be able to stop them. Maybe the soundest course of action is just to, you know, let them go. So they go, oh, okay. But first they have them flogged. They have them flogged. Warn them. And then let them go. You see how the persecution is amping up as you go along? Getting a little bit more severe. By the time you get to chapter 6, you meet Stephen. Now, Stephen had a particular job in the Christian community along with six others. He was one of the guys in charge of the bread roll roster. In charge of all the bread rolls. Well, not bread rolls, but the food distribution is what he was in charge of. That is, there was a problem in the beginning of Acts chapter 6. The Christian community, some in the Christian community were 
were complaining that they were getting overlooked in the distribution of food. That's not good. And so the Apostle said, well, I mean, we need to solve the problem, but it's not right for us to just wait on tables. We're sort of being set apart by Lord Jesus to pray and to preach the word. So let's find some suitable people full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who can look after the bread roll problem. And so they find seven people, Stephen's one of these guys, and so they're charged with the food distribution. However, Stephen's not just into bread rolls. Stephen's into Jesus. So he proclaims Jesus whenever he can. And you read in chapter 6 that Stephen, we described there, that he's, he's doing under the power of God miraculous signs and wonders as he preaches the name of Jesus. So much so that when he's debating with others who say, no, Jesus is not the Messiah, he's not the Lord of all, they can't stand up to Stephen's, we're told, wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. Consequently, they don't like that, so they haul Stephen before them. They, this time they circulate some false charges against him. They say, Stephen, this guy, he's been blaspheming against Moses and against God. What does he mean by that? Well, it becomes clear as they talk about it. They say he's speaking against the law, the Torah, what God had given his people back at Mount Sinai through Moses, speaking against the law and speaking against the temple which was the place that God symbolically dwelt amongst his people. Now, Luke makes clear these were false accusations. They weren't true. He wasn't speaking, blaspheming against Moses or against the law or against God and his temple. No, they were false accusations. But they're really serious accusations in a Jewish community where you want to honour God and honour the law that he's given so he had these trumped up charges, they haul Stephen before him, they say give an account and Stephen launches into a long speech, chapter 7. It's a really important speech in the early chapters of Acts because it explains why the persecution has happened. Up to that point, we're going to come to that in a moment. But you'll notice at the end of the speech, which we had read for us by Christy, at the end of the speech, they are so outraged by what Stephen has said that they grab him, they drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. The story of the first Christian martyr, the first Christian to die for their faith in Jesus. Can you see how the persecution is amping up as you go through these early chapters? So, that leaves us, I think, with three questions. Three questions I'm going to answer in super quick time this morning, because uh, this afternoon, because I want to... Inv- We've got a special guest who's going to speak to us a bit later and I'm keen to leave enough room for that. So I'm going to speak really fast. Here we go. Three questions. First of all, why is there such opposition to the Christian message? Why then and why now? Why is there such opposition to the Christian message? Secondly, how were the Christians meant to respond to that? And thirdly, what does that mean for us? Okay, first of all, why such opposition? As you read through this cycle, you can see that there's some reasons given. Chapter 4 the priests who were from the Sadducee class, they were distressed that the apostles were teaching the people because it's meant to be the priests who taught the people, the apostles are teaching the people and the apostles are teaching that God has brought about the resurrection of the dead by raising Jesus and the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead so they're unhappy on two accounts. Chapter 5, you read the authorities were filled with jealousy when they heard the apostles preaching and seeing the crowds that were coming to them. They were filled with jealousy. Their focus is not on them anymore. 
Everyone's flocking to the apostles and hearing this message about Jesus. They're not happy about that. Or in chapter 6, as I explained, when they couldn't better Stephen in debate about Jesus, they, they got upset and started circulating falsehoods. So you get a few clues about why there was such opposition. But to get the deep answer, the deep answer to why was there such opposition to the Christian message, you have to go to Luke part 1, the Gospel of Luke. Because Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. And if you go back to the Gospel of Luke, Luke records for you the teaching of Jesus, in particular, Jesus' prediction that this persecution would happen. He predicts it and he promises help when it does. So let's look at these things because it's really important if you're going to understand persecution in the book of Acts. The two particular places where uh, Jesus talks about this in Luke are in Luke chapter 21 and Luke 12. We're just going to look at the Luke 21 passage. So if you want to open that up, that would be super helpful. Luke chapter 21 and you can see a little bit of what Jesus said about persecution. Luke 21, looking at verses 12 to 19. Notice what he says, what Jesus says in verse 12. He says, but before all of this, they, that is those who are not my disciples, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. That ringing bells from what we've already heard about in the book of Acts. To synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. He was right, wasn't he? He predicted this was going to happen. Jump down to verse 16 and 17. He says, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death. We saw that this morning with Stephen. And then he says, he gives the deep reason. He says, all people will hate you because of me. All people will hate you because of me. As he says elsewhere, they will hate you because they hate me first. Now you might think, well is that really true? Like if we went out just now, we just sort of took our little clipboards and we go out into sort of the uni and go over to Wentworth level 4 and talk to people there or down Eastern Avenue, you just said let's, let's survey people and we say, do you hate Jesus? Well my guess is actually there's going to be a significant proportion of our campus who've never even heard of Jesus actually because one in ten uh, students at Sydney Uni come from mainland China, one in five in total come from overseas and there's a good number of people who come to this study at this uni who've never heard the name of Jesus. So maybe the first question should be, have you ever heard of Jesus? Which is why the EU's focus ministry, reaching out to international students, is so important because you're starting a long way back to try to introduce people to the Lord Jesus. But if they say, yeah, yeah I've heard of Jesus, then we say, right, well, do you hate him? the chances are they're just going to go, well, no. I mean, I, I don't hate Jesus. I mean, we're sort of, I'm cool with him. He's cool with me, I guess. Like, I, I, don't, I, I don't hate Jesus. What are you talking about? I don't hate Jesus. You know why people don't hate Jesus? It's because they don't know him. If you really know Jesus, the Jesus revealed in the New Testament historical documents, if you really know this Jesus, you either love him you love him because you realise this, 
This man is the only way I can truly be right with God. This is the man who promises me eternal life, who pours out his Holy Spirit in my heart, who makes him part of his own people. I love this man. You either love him or you hate him if you really know him. You hate him because you go, this man Jesus claims to be Lord of all. He claims to have authority over all things in heaven and earth, including me. He claims that I should give my life up for him, to follow him. And you know what? I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. Stuff you, Jesus. You can do whatever you like, but that's not me. I'm not going to do that. You love him or you hate him if you know him. Jesus says, all people will hate you if you're a Christian person because of me, because of his claims and people just don't like it. So, that's the deep reason, the deep reason and that's reflected in Stephen's speech actually when he gives a defence and explains why God's Old Testament people, the nation of Israel, why were they so opposed to this message about Jesus? His answer, if you read through chapter 7, His answer is because you're stiff-necked. You're stiff-necked and have uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now, let me explain this. So in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, basically Stephen gives a summary of the whole of the Old Testament. So that just means if you've never read the Old Testament in your Bible, you could just read Acts chapter 7. It gives you a pretty good summary, actually. Pretty much it's all there, well, except for creation which is a bit of a problem. But the rest of it, the rest of it is is there, right? He just talks about the history of God's old covenant people, the nation of Israel. And you know what he says? He says, time and time again, you know what God's people did? They refused to listen to God and you could see that in, they rejected his laws and they killed the messengers they sent and they rejected the deliverers that God sent. Time and time again. Now, this was not controversial, Right? The Jewish leaders of the day hearing that go, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's what the Old Testament records, that God's people kept wandering away. But, he, but they would say, but we're not like that. We're, not, we're the good guys in this story. We're the faithful remnant. We're the ones who, are, who love God and are doing the right thing. And the reason they get so upset is because at the end of the speech, Stephen just says, you know what our forefathers did? Well, guess what? You are just like them. You killed the righteous one. You killed Jesus. You've done just what they did. You're the bad guys in the story. That's why they get so angry. That's why they kill him. Because you know what? They did hate Jesus. They didn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. They didn't want to submit to him. They didn't want to entrust themselves to him. They rejected him. And so they hated his disciples, his followers. And they killed Stephen. So you can see the deep reason there. It's a spiritual problem. They were stiff-necked, determined to not turn around and trust God. They were stiff-necked of uncircumcised hearts and ears. Now that's a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, which you can look up, which Moses, the great Moses himself said, you've got to watch out that you don't become this sort of people. And that's what Stephen says, you know, you're accusing me of blaspheming against Moses? Well, what Moses said was a problem, that's you. You've become that problem. Okay, so that's why there's such opposition. How were the Christians meant to respond? 
How are the Christians meant to respond? Well, let's keep looking at what you see, if you've still got Luke chapter 21 open, see what Jesus had told them to do. Luke chapter 21 still, this time looking at 13, verse 13. Jesus says there, this persecution will result in your being witnesses to them. So the persecution, Jesus says, will result in you being able to testify about me to your persecutors. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. Keep going, verse 14 and 15. Jesus says, But make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So he says here, don't worry. Don't, when you're hauled before the authorities, I think worry is a pretty natural reaction. What the heck am I going to say to the Sanhedrin, these Jewish people who, who, who know, what, how am I going to defend, how am I going to be honourable to... Jesus, don't stress. In that moment, I will give you words to say. Or in Luke 12, he says, the Holy Spirit will, will teach you what to say in that moment. Don't stress about it. I'll be working in you and through you at that moment. Verses 18 and 19, he says there, even though some of you will be put to death, verse 16, he says, verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Now, he's just said they will, some of them will die, but not a hair of your head will perish and you'll gain life. So, what's it? Well, he's not talking about physically. He's talking about eternally. He's saying, yes, you might be put to death, but you know what? You will live, even though you die for my name. You will live. That is, there is hope, a sure promise of eternity and that enables you to stand in the moment for your faith in Christ. So you can see there are a few different things. He says result, it will result in witness, the words will be given you, there is hope of eternity. Conclusion, he makes clear in Luke chapter 12 uh, verses 4 and 5, he says just don't be afraid of these people. You don't need to be afraid of them even though it's a scary prospect. And then that's reflected I think in the book of Acts. That's what reflected in what you see them doing. In fact, Stephen, at the very point of his death, what is he doing? What's the last thing he says in Acts chapter 7? He says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He prays for those who are persecuting him. This is exactly what Jesus had told us to do. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. That's how the Christians are to respond. Now, that... It's pretty gutsy, right, to respond to persecution like that. You think, gee, I don't know if I could do that. Well, the, the good news here in the book of Acts is very clear that it's God who works that sort of brave, courageous, bold response in you. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers you to do that. You can see this if you go back to the first instance of persecution in the book of Acts in chapter 4. Uh, the first time they experienced persecution, we're told that the believers gathered together And we looked at this earlier in the year in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. And what they pray there is very significant. It gives you a bit of a model, a paradigm for how Christians are to respond to persecution. In chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, they they pray to God thanking him for his sovereignty, his control over all events. They acknowledge that persecution was predicted, that this is not a surprise that it's happening. But then they say, Lord... Consider their threats, and you might finish the prayer by going, consider their threats and get us out of here. That's not what they pray. They say, consider their threats 
and fill us with boldness to keep doing the stuff that's getting us into trouble. Fill us with boldness to keep proclaiming and can you reach out and keep doing these miracles which are getting us into trouble in the first place? You're sovereign. You've predicted it. Now give us courage in the face of their threats. And what we read there is the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were filled with boldness and they proclaimed Christ. See, the answer is not in your own strength. The answer is in the power that God provides. Okay, so what about for us today, and I'll finish with this last thought. What about for us today? This is not just about the apostles. Later on in the book of Acts, Paul is very clear, Paul and Barnabas, as they visit various churches, they say we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is true for all of us. Persecution and opposition will be part of the lot. They will hate you because of me, said Jesus. And as we saw before, it's a reality for many Christians around the world today. And if you're not really informed about that, can I encourage you to look up any of these three different websites, uh, opendoors.com.au, which was where we looked before about the world watch list, or persecution.com, which is Voice of the Martyrs, or persecution.org for international Christian concern, all of which are trying to help educate you about persecutions of sisters and brothers in Christ around the world. Really helpful to grab one of those, spend some time getting informed, as the video said, But then, as a result of getting informed, I want you to pray. I think we should pray. We should pray for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because even though God says, yes, the persecution happens under my sovereignty, and Jesus says, yes, it will result in you being able to witness for me, it is still an evil thing that people be persecuted for their faith. So it's right to pray for their deliverance, if it be the Lord's will. But also I think we need to pray that they would have great boldness from the Spirit to stand firm and proclaim Christ in the face of the persecution. But when you're praying that for them, can I encourage you finally, pray it for yourself. Pray it for yourself, pray it for our campus, pray it for brothers and sisters in your church and in the EU that we might be bold for Christ in the power that his Spirit gives. Because... I know that you probably don't experience the sort of persecution we've been talking about today. Some in the EU do, actually. Depending what family you come from or cultural group you come from, when people come to Christ, sometimes they experience real persecution. They're excluded from the family. They're disowned sometimes in the family. That happens here to brothers and sisters in the EU. So you you should be mindful of that. And be a good, loving sister or brother in Christ to that person who's losing their biological family for their faith. But for many of us, that's not the situation. But you know what? The same dynamic is operating. It's fear that suffocates proclamation of Jesus. Fear. You don't want to be excluded from your relationships because you've stuck your head up for Jesus, do you? You don't want to be ostracised. You don't want to be laughed at because in a toot you actually said, well, actually, yeah, I'm a Christian. You don't want to be laughed at. It's fear that suffocates proclamation of Jesus. Same for them, same for us. What's, what's the antidote to that fear? What are we, it's the Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord Jesus in you, active amongst us, that Spirit, empowers proclamation in the face of fear. So pray for them, pray for yourselves, pray for me, 
pray for all of us that in our relationships, amongst our family and friends, that we might be bold for the Lord Jesus, that they might be saved. All right, I'm going to close with a prayer and then we're going to meet our guests. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that shines light into our darkness. We thank you that we have no need to fear any who oppose the gospel of your son Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit that we might be bold so that those who need to know about Jesus might hear, turn, believe and be saved. And we pray it for your glory and your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen.